the JT and Looney podcast. Episode 46. Now, tonight, as we record this broadcast, the sky is falling when it comes to the Clippers fans who think they have this super team. They're finally, you know, they beat the Lakers in game one, which is the biggest, probably arguably the biggest win in the history of the franchise was just with their super team beating LeBron and the Lakers super team in game one. Portland, Portland beating the Lakers. No, I'm talking about back in game one. Back in game one this year of the NBA season. Oh, game one of the regular season. Game one. We didn't wear masks and it wasn't a pandemic. We were allowed to go have drinks and cocktails Uh, in LA Live. I forgot about that. The old normal. Yes. And uh, I remember that thinking of that as the biggest win in the history of the Clippers franchise. Now they got this super team and they're really excited because the Lakers have their super team. And it can be a showdown because Clipper fans, those long-suffering Clipper fans, think they have a real team now is this going to be another disappointing season no different than any other well this is interesting because when whoever loses in a bubble whoever loses in a pandemic right i don't believe should get any heat that's one of my really you're gonna get okay so they get a juice box and a trophy anyway okay your your head is gonna pop as i'm looking at you on the zoom when i tell you this i believe if you win in a bubble the stanley cup or the nba title that it's the greatest championship ever so I put it I put it as the greatest one. Michael Jordan's never done this. Right. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bird didn't have to, but they didn't a, have to a, leave their a family. Neut- in a neutral territory. Absolutely. Right. So if you win, you magnify it, and no one will ever forget it. If you lose... You've got an excuse. Yeah, you get a free pass. Yeah. It's a pandemic. Oh, okay. It's a bubble. I didn't have home court. I lost this and that. I was distracted. I didn't have my wife. I haven't seen my kids. No, my, my, head didn't pop my head didn't pop because that sounds very squishy and liberal to me. You say you're a very low-calorie Republican today. I'm loving this. Well, what's great about what I just said is I had to get the, the hardcore extreme to the right. What a surprise <laughs> right. there that if you win, it means everything. You should have two Stanley Cups. Right. And if you, lose, if you lose, just grab your bags and meet down at the bus. Because remember, one thing. Right. That's cool about losing in a pandemic. You get to go home and you don't have to be tested. Right. 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 You yes. get to have sex. Yes. You get to exactly. do everything you want to do. You right. get to leave the bubble and go back home to your partner, your wife or girlfriend, and get your life going again. So if the Clippers lose, I think you got to look at Doc Rivers and say, Doc, Chris Paul still playing, the guy you ran out of here and didn't want, and you're done. And it comes down, and I hope it happens by the time the podcast uh, gets downloaded. Paul George. If Paul (laughs) George plays as poorly as he's been playing, I think Clipper fans are going to say, man, we're stuck with this contract because that contract's tied with Kawhi Leonard's exactly. And the Clippers love Kawhi, but they're really, really pushing Paul George now to be a better player. And Clipper fans will have double egg on their face because having Paul George, who always wanted to be a Laker, was another jewel in their crown. It was a great way to, you know, they loved rubbing that they had Paul George in the Lakers' face, like Paul George was some great prize. But I think we're finding out he's not. I went to one Clipper game that I can recall. And I went with the owner of the Raiders, Mark Davis. He called me last second, night before, knew I was working nights. It was a weekend game. He goes, you want to come to the Clipper game with me? I said, absolutely. He goes, well, meet at the Palm, the Palm restaurant right across the street from Staples Center. And we meet there. And we have this meal. We have a steak. We sit down. And then we walk across and we go to the Clipper game. And I'm walking down. You know, we walk through the lower bowl entrance. Right. And then we walk on the court. I never asked Mark Davis where the seats were. And he walks me out to half court, literally half court, 
on the line and I sit down and that's my seat and he's to my right. And then about five minutes before the game starts, who sits next to me, but Billy Crystal. Wow. Wow. So got a couple of things in common with Billy Crystal and none of it has to do with talent. Uh, (laughs) He's from Long Island. I'm from Long Island. He's a diehard Yankee fan. Diehard. I'm a diehard Yankee fan. So he shook, shook my hand. He said, how you doing? He said, hi to Mark. I make sure I don't say a word to him. I don't have, you know, I'm not going to make small talk with Billy Crystal. Right. Third quarter, he asked me where I'm from. He said, I live in the Valley, but I'm from Massapequa, Long Island. He stopped and looked at me. <laughs> he couldn't believe it with his Long Beach, Long Island roots. Right. We talked for about five, 10 minutes as the game's going on. I told him I'm a Yankee fan. I love his fandom for the Yankees. We talk. Game ended. He stood up, shook Mark Davis's hand, shook my hand, said, JT, remembered my name. Great talking to you. I said, Billy, a high honor. Thank you. I don't even remember the score of the game. Don't oh, remember who they played. Wow. What the date was, I was just mesmerized because he's the only Clipper fan other than Clipper Daryl, <laughs> our mutual right. radio buddy, Ben Maller, that we ever heard of. And I met Clipper royalty. So dating back to the Clippers this time around, they better get out of the first round. Well, who knows if they're going to get out of the first round. It's game five tonight as we tape this. Uh, series is tied 2-2 at Mandalay Bay where the Flying Fishes play. Clippers are an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. I would load up on the Mavericks tonight. I don't know if the Mavericks are going to win, but this is a close, competitive series. And if we've got playoffs going on and you need to bet, go to Bet Online. They've got you covered. NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL. Take full advantage of sports being back. Get in on the action with hundreds of odds. They've got futures and props you can bet on. The online casino's always open. It never closes. Go to betonline.ag. That's betonline.ag. Sign up and receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline.ag. Sign up today. BetOnline. Your online sportsbook experts. And that's what's called a live read in our business, but it doesn't sound like I'm reading because I am a broadcast professional. Tom Moody! One of the greatest basketball games I've ever seen. And I, I, I was there with the Laker run, and I was there with the Lakers in Portland. The Lakers are down 15 in 2000 and the, and the NBA uh, Western Conference Finals, and they come back, and Kobe hits Shaq in the place. I, I sprained my ankle jumping up and down. The place goes wild. They go on to win three championships. I've been in the locker room when they've won championships. But one of the greatest basketball games I ever saw was the Hornets and the Clippers on Leap Day you know, four or five years ago at Staples Center. And you had some really great seats and some work I did for a local affiliate, AM570 in Los Angeles. And it was when they had DeAndre Jordan and Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. They were all perfectly healthy. It was like well, Harlem Globetrotters. It was a triple overtime game. 151 to 150 is the final. And wow. there, was, there was no defense being played. And and Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan never looked better. It was an incredible experience. I'm so surprised that they still didn't try to build around that core of players. What were they thinking, breaking them up? Well, they broke them up. They broke up Philadelphia this week. They fired Brett Brown and put out yep. the nicest, the nicest goodbye statement I've ever seen. And go back, everybody, and take a look at it. Brent Brown fired by the 76ers as they got embarrassingly swept by Boston. But they had something called the process. 
and I want to give myself a pat on the back, <laughs> a round of applause. Oh, you hated time. that process. Oh. oh, the first time I ever heard the term the process, I said, what is this? Oh, it's cheating. And what it was, it was based, the core of the process was based in cheating, which meant you lose on purpose. You sit your players out in the fourth quarter, your best ones. You try to lose so you can get ping pong balls. Yeah. Not a player. You don't know who the player is going to be. Right. It could be Markel Fultz. It could be Ben Simmons. You don't know who you're going to get. You're going to get ping pong balls. Take it from me, a Nick fan. We never get the ping pong ball. And when we do, we screw it up. Dating back, the only guy we ever got was Patrick Ewing. But I'm looking at this and I'm watching how this plays out. And I'm thinking about the draft and I'm thinking about the Clippers. And I think about the process. And the process, I never wanted to be more right on a topic. <laughs> yeah, know, we, yes, we, ha- yes. we, we had to catch the Astros yep. cheating, if you recall. Right. We didn't know until some fan was listening to boom, boom, garbage cans. Oh my God, follow up. They were cheating by stealing signs and relaying it with garbage cans. Well, the process told us that they were cheating all along. They even had t-shirts that said the process. Right. Everyone in Philadelphia bought into it and they blew up the process the other night when they got swept by Boston in the bubble, fired the coach, and the process is dead. Now, in the interest of journalistic integrity, uh, the New York Knicks didn't end up with the ping pong ball back in the day, did they end up with the frozen envelope? Yes, that's when when the frozen envelope, ice cold was there. And the last pick, and, and believe it or not, it's hard to believe for a younger audience, my kids don't get it, but Patrick Ewing never won a ring. And he goes on the Mount Rushmore, I think, with Barkley, Malone, and Stockton for greatest players that never win one. Right. It just goes to show you when you do what Philly did and you cheat and you you encourage, encourage, encourage losing for three, four seasons in a row. And then you have to blow it up eight years later. I mean, think of the season ticket holders, Tom, who paid for parking season tickets, a dinner and a steak and a glass of wine went into their seats in the lower bowl saying, okay, we're not very good, but they're telling me about this process and I'll buy into it for three more years and give them my season ticket money. And then eight years later, you sit there and go, oh my God, I can't get a refund. It's a bad investment in the process. So we say goodbye to the process and going back to the Clippers, I really hope it's the Clippers and the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. I got the Raptors, who I picked to beat Giannis Antetokounmpo. They look great, and they're going to have a tremendous matchup against Boston. As you know, the Celtics lose Gordon Hayward again for three to four weeks with an ankle injury, and they won't have him back for this series. Luka Doncic. Let's finish up with Luka Doncic. Wow. Luka Doncic had the greatest, a top 10 game in the history of the NBA. The history of the league, Luka Doncic had a triple-double, hit a walk-off three, but felt like it was from half court, did everything he was unguardable. I don't want to say I've never seen anything like that because we saw Magic as a rookie win a title playing center. Right. We saw Kobe, your guy, have some of the greatest games of all time, 81. Jordan is Jordan, LeBron is LeBron. Luka Doncic could be one of the all-time, all-time greatest players by the next five or six years. He has an opportunity to be better than Larry Bird, 
than all the greats. Carl Malone, I mean, he won't catch him statistically, but his game almost looks to be better at a young age. There's these guys that are coming along that you see. You know, Lamar Odom, I think of Lamar Odom when I think of Luka Doncic, of all people. A lot of people are thinking, you're thinking Larry Bird because you, only because you're a horrible racist, of course, that you, think of, that you compare him to Larry Bird. Didn't you compare him to Larry Bird and people called you a racist on Mad Dog Radio? Someone DM me. So I put a, I'm doing a radio show and I'm trying to get some interaction. And I say, Luka yeah. Doncic, it's the greatest performance I've seen since Larry Bird. And I look in my little mailbox in Twitter, my uh -huh. DMs, and some guy comes at me hard. Oh, is it because he's white? <laughs> and I say, oh, my God, it has nothing to do with him being white. The highest compliment you could pay Luka Doncic ever ever is to compare him to Larry. Bird. By the way, the highest pay, uh, highest compliment you could pay to any basketball player is to compare them to Larry Bird. Yeah, a, a black, black guy, basketball a player player like that. And Whoever, I, and I do it, and a guy sitting there trying to bait me <laughs> into a race topic on Luka when he has one of the top ten games of all time. Well, and here's Well, what's happening, almost like in football. In football, they're taking the best football player and putting them behind center, and we're seeing that with Patrick Mahomes, and we're seeing that with Lamar Jackson over the course of the years, and Cam Newton, who bigger than anybody who would have played in Super Bowl one. And if he did play in Super Bowl one, he would have been playing some other position. They're taking these guys. It's not a suburban guy's uh, booster's son or the coach's son. They're now just taking the best football player and putting behind center and basketball. A lot of times now you see Anthony Davis. I'm, I'm, when you make the Luka Doncic uh, comparisons, Anthony Davis, Lamar Odom, guys who started out when as guards when they were smaller and then they grew. So they switched them to the traditional, except for Magic Johnson, who never switched. Another example where these guys grow larger than guards and they can play any position as though they're a guard. Outstanding point. And I'll take it one further because he played for Real Madrid in basketball. He played professionally from 13 years old going into 14. So even though the quality of play and there's been great players who have played overseas, mm -hmm. Powell and Marcus Saul. You can go right. through the list. Luka Doncic at 14 was playing against pros every day. The guys with yep. mustaches, guys with right. wives and kids at home. And that bully ball, that different type of ball, now has changed the way he plays in America in the NBA where he can put his shoulder into someone or someone puts his shoulder into him. And it's just part of the game where other guys are finesse players, don't want to be touched don't want that physicality. Right. So that makes Luka Doncic just amazing. Again, his box score in that game against the Clippers that tied up the series 2-2 to me is one of the top 10 box scores of all time. It happened in a bubble again, so that magnifies it. Right. No fans, no crowd to feed off of. He's got the points, assists, the rebounds. And then on top of that box score, he hit a walk-off long-distance three. Just didn't put up the box score. He won the game. Now, and guess what? And it wasn't just a picture of a box score with him holding it up like Wilt Chamberlain holding up a paper that says 100. And we just have to believe that he scored 100 points. There's no film. There's no nothing. In this case, we actually got to see it, touch it, watch it. And so that's what also made it so special. One of the things we're trying to figure out with podcasts is the downloads, how to get people to share it word of mouth. I listen to this podcast sometimes and I, I just love what we're doing mm -hmm. here. So I want everybody to share this one so we can get our advertising up because I just paid 30 
$1,000 for an air conditioner. Would you like to hear wow. this story? Do you yes, like a $30,000 air conditioner story? Yes, I would. Okay, because you've never heard a $30,000 air conditioner no, story, No, right? no. I, I had no, I couldn't, I didn't dream when I knew that your air conditioning went out. When it was 115 degrees, yeah. I, I didn't think that you would get boonswoggled for that much money. So we live in our home. We have an air conditioner. Our home was built in 2001. We love our air conditioner. Everything's fine in our house. Like everybody, we upgrade it. We paint it. We upgrade our house. We fix things. So we knew that eventually living in Vegas, we'd have to get an air conditioner. And we talked to a lot of people. We got estimates. And one of the gentlemen came to the house and said, well, just run them into the ground. He goes, you're going to have a few more years, but all the way we look at air conditioners now, Freon is outdated. It's got to be up to scale with the environment now. Mm -hmm. You have to have new coils and cords because the air conditioner is from 2001 and it's 2020. So my wife and I say, well, let's just run it into the ground. If we get another summer out of it, we get another summer out of it. So like clockwork, it's 113 degrees. One of the three units, the five ton unit, goes out, which heats our upstairs. So my son's at college. Or cools your upstairs in this case. cools your upstairs, yeah, that, that cools the upstairs. And turns out that we have to replace one. So we get the estimates, I get five estimates, 42,000, 40,000, 44,000. <laughs> Finally, I put it out on Twitter, you know, cause we're in the business, we gotta be right. careful. I put it out, I say, hey, uh, a little AC karma. For your boy, as the AC came out, anybody got an idea? Boom, phone lights up. I won't tell you who calls me. Says, hey, I got a guy. They listen to the show. They like you. You like them, blah, blah, blah. We put this deal together. I get a nice deal. Someone I respect in town. They came in on a Friday at 8 in the morning. By 2 o'clock, they were done with the drywall. They were in the attic. They put in a five-ton a three ton and a two and a half ton. I got new air conditioning for the rest of my life. Wow. The guy drops the bill. I knew what the bill was $30,000 for uh, air conditioning on a 113 degree day. Now you just said you can have air conditioning for life. Don't jinx it. <laughs> no, I, I have it for life. No, you better believe it because if it breaks down that warranty that came with it, okay. I'm going to run up and down the block drunk telling everyone I got the warranty. I'm going to get a new one. I have to pay okay. for that. So I wanted to throw that out. And here's the moral of the story. I got a good deal. I'm happy about it. You got a house, you got to pay for air conditioning. Don't wait till your car transmission goes out. Your pool filter which is a big deal if you're right. fortunate and lucky enough to have a pool or your air conditioning or heating system, get estimates way in advance, have an idea of what it costs because unless you can build an air conditioner or you know how to fix it, you're going to go down this road and you're going to remember this podcast. It's like saying yeah, the equivalent of don't wait till you have a toothache. Do you go to the dentist? Similar to that, yeah. but that would be like going to the dentist and having all your teeth pulled out and then okay. being wait, wait, sweating, wait, sweating in the guest room for a month and then we'll give you new teeth. So okay. just do the right thing. And that's the story of the $30,000 air conditioner. It is episode number 46. As we take a look back in the hot tub time machine over the course of the years, all the way back to competitive sports and, and, uh, you know, seven until back when they built the Coliseum in Rome, you know, we've had competitive sports. I looked at the, oh, there's not that many guys who wore number 46. One was a Raider, Todd Christensen.
He was a great tight end. He had Hall of Fame numbers when they decided to throw to him on every down. Yes. He had a couple of years where he was fabulous. Well, when he came into the league, because since this is going to be episode 46, I looked up the great guys who wore number 46. It wasn't a long list. And he had a chip on his shoulder. Well, I could end the sentence there. He had a chip on his shoulder. But when he came into the league, he was drafted by the Giants. He played for the Cowboys, but he refused to play tight end. So he kept getting cut. And then he went to the Raiders and he thought, well, maybe, maybe I should. And, and then he became an all world tight end for the Raiders. He was really, he was one of those rare, especially, you know, before the mid two thousands, the problem with tight ends is they couldn't catch the ball. He was one of the original early tight ends who could actually catch. And uh, another number 46, your guy, another one of your guys, New York Yankee, Andy Pettit. Andy Pettit, wow, one of the yeah. greatest pitchers ever in postseason history. Just look at his yep. postseason numbers, but he had a little bit of a hiccup in his life where he just <laughs> couldn't come clean, right? Are you getting to that in the number 46 episode? Oh, about, yeah. Is this about to tell the truth or not to tell the truth? <laughs> we could do that if we want. Hey, he just he had sticky fingers when it came to stealing his father's medicine, shall we say? Yeah, he threw his dad under the bus, which is not Hall of Fame worthy. Basically, he got he well, he did what I believe is right. If you look back at the history of performance enhancing drugs, if you were doing performance enhancing drugs because you were injured, and this is what happens all the time with football players. Football players are always beat up their shoulders, their knees. It almost should be they almost should be mandatory for guys who play in the NFL. Yeah, you're taking human growth hormone because you want to play, and it's the only way you're going to get on the field. You can understand the motivation, but when you're a pitcher, Andy Pettit used that excuse that he wanted to get back on the field from an injury and he just couldn't own it because he saw the fabric of steroids and the culture. And if he admitted to it, which I've always said, if you admit to it, you're done. If you lie about it and you don't get caught, maybe someday you could be Roger Clemens and go to the Rayburn building under oath where Roger Clemens cleared his name. People forget about that. Oh, no, no, no. He lied under oath. He cleared his name in federal court. (laughs) Right. But the fact is he cleared his name up. He went into that. He went into that never saying that he was going to admit to any wrongdoing. So in theory, if you look at Bonds, who flat out lied about it, but didn't go in front of, you know, he had a lot of court cases. But Clemens, in my opinion, Clemens, to his credit, he didn't throw in the towel, Tom. He didn't get to the point where he goes, all right, right. the DA, the guys are wearing me down. I'm going to settle. He he went and cleared his name in federal court. And, and I've always said that. I've always said that about the great O.J. Simpson, to his credit. He just didn't say, oh, no, I'm guilty. He cleared his name. That's what you're saying? So you, have you ever yeah. said that about O.J.? To his credit, he cleared his name. Who's, you'd have well, to take a shower after you said that. Do you, have to, do you feel like you have to take a shower after you defend Roger Clemens? Yeah, I do. I do have to take a shower. By the way, that's exactly how people don't have a good enough sense of humor about sports and politics. And that is our ability to be able to laugh at ourselves when we cheer for guys in our team, the flawed guys who play for our teams, whether it's a political team or whether it's the New York bleeping Yankees. Or for me, in my case, the Lakers, sometimes we stick up for our scoundrels because they're on our team. 
We're one of the only two podcasters in the podcasting platform yeah. that believe that OJ shouldn't have went to jail for stealing his own stuff. Well, right. Yes, uh, he, he wanted he to went steal back, back to back. the palace station to take back his memorabilia that was stolen from him and burst, burst it into a hotel room. We both believe that he shouldn't have gone to jail for nine years. Because he wanted a, a picture yeah. of his, he was with his mother and the president and he wanted that picture back. And so I didn't blame him for trying to get that back, although there were, he could have been doing so many better things with his time. He should all, he should have been giving at that same moment. He probably would have been better off just behaving considering what he got away with the first time. But you know, sometimes some people can't, Hey, let's move along to this. Oscar De La Hoya is coming out of retirement and I haven't had a chance to speak to you about it. And you know how much I love Oscar, how much we both love the sweet science, how we like to talk about boxing and we can like a lot of other people. Why do you think Oscar is coming out of retirement? Well, Dana White made the most gangster hardcore statement of all time. I don't, I don't, I don't know of a commissioner or a president of any sport that said, He's coming out of retirement because cocaine is expensive. Right. I mean, for him to say that, and I know Dana a little bit in passing. We both live in Vegas, and that got the attention of everybody, including radio, sports. Everybody was talking about it. That was a big time, big time blast from Dana White. I think that Oscar's like every boxer, probably, probably going broke that we don't know about it because of recreational activities, addictions, problems in the past, women, children, always children. And the big one, you forgot it. The big one taxes, then none of them pay their taxes. None of, it's tough to find a boxer in boxing history that got paid all this money for one night for literally minutes. Mm-hmm. Right? Could, Mike Tyson would fight two minutes or four minutes and get all this money. And then Don King would take a chunk and the MGM grand would take a chunk and he'd have to pay his handlers. And then the money would come down. And then Mike a year later would get a tax bill and then it would just catch up, catch up. So the more I think about this with Oscar De La Hoya, he's not doing this because he wants to show his athletic ability. I think it's probably rooted in a money problem. And look, we're in a pandemic who's promoting fights other than Bob Arum and Oscar and Canelo went to the zone and I haven't seen the zone do anything. So I think these guys need cash. Yeah. It's that. And here's another thing. I talked to him about it and we'll play it. Uh, at some point we'll drop it into this conversation. And I asked him about what it's like when you achieve every goal that you've ever wanted to achieve in your life. And then it's your 25th birthday. Oh, we got it? Okay, okay, here it is. Every goal you wanted to accomplish, you accomplished, and you were still very young. What's right. the downside of that? Well, the downside is that um, you're not handed over a, a document where it states, uh, okay, well, uh, when you get money and you're so-and-so age and you're going to have a, a, a posse behind you, an uh, right. entourage and this right. and that, you know, okay, so you have to do this, this and that. And you go down the list and you take a look. Like, there's no handbook for it, you know? Right. Um, and so what do you do? You learn it uh, uh, when you're in the streets. You learn it when you're from whoever you're surrounded by. Right. I mean, that's why it's very important that you surround yourself with great people, uh, people who are going to take care of you, people who are going to look out for you. And um, a lot of times um, when you are a celebrity, when you are a star uh, making a lot of money, um, sometimes uh, a few uh, bad apples uh, kind of uh, sneak their way into right. your circle. And, uh, and, and that's when things can uh, go wrong. 
Most people achieve the fruits of their labor at 40 or 50. That's a normal life. That's normal people. And so I did talk to him about that. And, and Whitney Houston started snorting cocaine at 23. One of the reasons was she had to find another way to get high because she had achieved every goal she ever wanted to achieve in her life. She filled stadiums. She had a Rolls Royce. She bought her mother a house. And then what do I do now? And so a lot of times people who live their life in reverse and have success at a very young age don't always handle retirement well. And I, I remember you and I spoke to Remember Big Joe and Doug Krikorian, the great oh, yeah. legendary great LA talk guys. show host? Yeah. And one time we Doug wrote a book and we brought him in and had him in, in LA to introduce him to the nation. And he talked about how he didn't he still didn't think, even though Golden Boy had been successful or appeared to be successful for so many years, that he could handle all the money losses that boxing promoters have. He didn't think that Oscar would be able to do it alone without his business partner anymore. And it looks like he may be right. Now, some guys have comebacks and they're successful. And uh, not normally, though, guys who are skilled boxers like Oscar, the punchers do. George Foreman, you know, is the blind squirrel that finds a nut every once in a while. But when you take a look at the people who come out of retirement 10 years after they retired and have a successful career, the list is really short. It's, it's right next to zero. You know, George Foreman's one. Maybe Lance Armstrong, was he successful when he came out? And uh, we consider anything he did a success. So it's a real short list. Yeah. One of the other things about Oscar De La Hoya tying it to Whitney, we get along really well. We're great friends. The one thing we've always butted heads on is I believe that Whitney got involved with cocaine because she was with Bobby Brown. And before you interrupt me, I want to say this again. If Whitney would have fell in love with a defensive end, I don't know the age guy like Bruce Smith or, you know, a hall of fame linebacker and athlete, I don't think she would have gone down the road of cocaine with Bobby Brown. So when we look at Whitney, God rest her soul. Uh, I think that Whitney got down on the cocaine train because she was hanging out with one of the biggest lunatics in the history of music and entertainment and Bobby Brown. You are a sexist who should be canceled. <laughs> You've assumed that poor weak little Whitney was pulled into the cocaine world by the man. But, from everything you know that we've both read, a lot of people in his family blame her for bringing cocaine into his life, and likely we will never know the answer to that question, but we've always had, funds, had fun over the years, uh, button heads about that. This reminds me of a great story. My friend Tony, growing up in, I won't say, Tony P, growing up uh, in Venice, California, he was having a cocaine problem. And, I, and he said to me, and I said, well, why just, you know, why can't you just stop doing it? He said, you know, I'm a social guy. No matter where I go, people are doing cocaine. And I said, Tony, I'm going out five nights a week. And no matter where I go, people aren't. <laughs> so, so I was saying, why don't you come out with me? And I, it makes me think of a conversation you and I had in episode 44, where you said, no matter where you went, your friends kept talking about buying guns. 
And since we've gone from episode 44 to episode 45, I have to inform you that still not one of my friends, JT, has told me that he or she was going to buy a gun. Who are these people you're hanging around with that are buying these guns? Well, you need to get out more. If you get out more during the (laughs) pandemic, you'll see more people because, again... Uh, again, and not to make light of this, as right. we uh, as we record this podcast, another city in a small town in Wisconsin is burning. Yeah, burning the last couple of nights because of another police shooting where individuals are taking to the street and they're going into these innocent businesses. People who just want to be entrepreneurs and have businesses. Car dealerships are the new hot button here. Coffee right. shops and people are just coming because they're furious that another black man was shot seven times in the back by a police officer, which is horrific. And they decide to burn the city down, burn the garbage truck, throw stuff through glass. Let's go to a, let's go to a car dealership that someone owns and these beautiful new vehicles and light them on fire. And I think a lot of people in these suburban tiny towns, even in Wisconsin are saying, man, I need a gun in case someone comes to my home and says, get out of your home, get out of your home. You don't deserve to live here. I'm worried about that. I'm seeing a lot more of it on television. I won't judge the protesters who light fires if you won't judge the bad apples. You know, they're bad apples, right? The protesters who light fires are bad apples. It's a bad apple argument. And no, we just have to weed out the protesters to start fires in the same way that we've got to weed out the cops who shoot people in the back and get rid of this bad apple argument and just, uh, and people need to, discuss this openly less emotionally and here's something uh, a sentence you're never going to hear me say very often in the defense of the police not in this case in a lot of cases we're obviously not training them right and so if they're doing it the way they've been trained and we then we finally have to admit at some point maybe we've been training them the wrong way and we have to learn how to calm down and take care of things in a different way with our policing That's obvious. Yeah. And again, I've talked about this a bunch on the radio and we put different content on this podcast. We talk more freely than I do on the radio where I have bosses and here I don't. I'm in my wife's walk-in closet and she's not bossing me around. It comes down to the fact that when criminals, criminals get pulled over and they're asked to abide by rules when they're pulled over or they're about to be questioned and they don't. Then what happens is how are police or security or the military or whatever's happening on the streets in this country, what do you do when that individual decides not to follow the law or the rules and abide by what a police officer is saying? And I They're not criminals, JT. They're suspects. I, I agree. They are suspects. That's a great way to frame it. Okay. A lot of times, a lot of times, individuals are pulled over. They're in a situation. Plates are run. They don't deserve to die. They don't deserve to have a gun put next to their head. They don't deserve it. But when they do, and the cop brings up their criminal record or is looking at them and suspects them of doing something because the cops are in authority and the individual resists, it's called resisting arrest. I think the training going forward is, what do you do when someone runs out of a car at a Wendy's? What do you do when someone circles in Wisconsin the front of his car and looks like he's going to go grab a gun? What do you do? And I don't know the answer to that. I'm not trained as a police officer, but it's on my television once a week. Like school shootings were always on my television. And we'd see, you know, all these horrific acts lately. 
What do police officers do going forward when suspects get agitated, get aggravated, and come back at the police officer who happens to have a weapon? And that type of training, I would love someone on a podcast with us tell us what we're going to see because there's been policing going on for well over 150 plus years. And it's got to change when it comes to that type of conflict. And I'm just listening more than ever, Tom. The word listen there. And I'm glad you said that because for a long time, I think maybe we haven't been or we hear the stories, but there was a, a disconnect because we didn't all have cameras. And now that there's cameras, we're realizing some of the stories we have been told are true. And what was written down in the police report wasn't. And and now we're gonna we have to have a conversation. The most important thing, as you say, there listen, and also, you know, if you do what you're told, you won't be killed. Now that's usually what a, a bank robber says or a terrorist mm-hmm. says, and it's it's kind of unfortunate when that's also what we're telling our children when they get pulled over by police. The same thing we would tell them as if a bank robber or a terrorist were to kidnap them, and that probably has to change COVID 19 jt you're in vegas what are people betting on in vegas what do the casinos look like how will we deal with social distancing once the nfl gets going because people love to bet on the nfl we can't wait till it comes back paint the picture of what you're seeing in casinos Well, as we're here at the end of August, there is no casino action. There are still casinos opening up. My wife uh, told me today that the Mirage was finally opening up. There are casinos opening up online slowly, and they're not at maximum capacity. They're less than 50% capacity. And every time Vegas is getting close to opening up casinos and opening up restaurants more and having more than just takeout food, The decision hasn't happened, and what's happened is the governor has decided to kick the can down the road, and I respect them. Whatever they decide to do, there's going to be people on both sides, but we still haven't found a way to get our COVID numbers in Vegas, which are a lot smaller than California and Florida and Texas, under control to the point where airplanes are coming. See, we need airplanes in Vegas. I live in a town called Summerlin, and over my house, there's a plane or two or four or five an hour, big ones, the jumbo jet ones that go to Europe. And my wife has an app and she'll point the phone to the sky and she'll say, oh, that's U.S. Virgin Airlines flight, whatever, to London. When this is Air France and we can see that. Oh my God, I want that. What's the app called? Oh, the app. My wife, I'll put it here on the podcast notes. My wife loves it. My mother-in-law, your biggest fan, loves that app. That's what she does in Lincoln, Illinois. She looks up at the sky and they look (laughs) at these planes and where they're going to. And we don't have airplanes coming to Vegas, but a great transition to what I just experienced. I did the first ever hosted, emceed, the first ever broadcast from Allegiant Stadium mm-hmm. where the Raiders are going to play. And the Raiders are going to play without fans year one. And they had, the Raider players have never been to the stadium. So we were there before the players, two hours in advance. The Raider players came in via the bus with their camera phones out because they're all kids in their 20s. And they were doing live streaming, FaceTiming with their family as they walked into this glorious stadium for the first time with masks on and they were taking their masks off and social distancing. And I'm sitting up in the television booth where Brett Musburger and the great Al Michaels and Joe Buck are going to call games. 
and saw this for the first time and the joy on football players who weren't even allowed to go to a stadium, which has been completed because of COVID-19 last Friday. It was really cool to see Tom. Can't wait till we can get back to the old normal. Thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.